as I mentioned, we're going to look at this, this concept of being joyful. Um, I, I think of if any time we need to be joyful, it's now. And I know the world sees it as incongruous. That doesn't make sense, that this is not a joyful time. In fact, there are so many things not to be joyful uh, about right now with, with uh, not only the sickness, uh, but then the state of our nation and the state of our uh, relations with one another and the protests and, and all the other things and the finances and the economy. It just seems like there's more things to drain our joy and to give us reasons to complain and to become those people, and I've seen it too much, I've seen it on social media and in person, that we become just the gripers, you know, and, and it reminds me of the children of Israel that, that missed out. God had delivered them out of Egypt. He had such a great plan for them. He loved them. He heard their cry that they had been in slavery, and he set them free to bring them into this this land of their own, and yet all of those people that he set free never made it. And why did they not make it? It was not because that was God's plan from the beginning. Otherwise, why would he set them free? But yet it was because they gave into the spirit of always griping, always complaining, always seeing the circumstances, and the circumstances you know, were dire because he knew that there was a journey to get from uh, the, the release to the promised land. Uh, they had to go through that journey. And, and yet God was with them the whole way. Um, and, and we are the same way. We are on a journey to the promised land, to what God has for us. And yet we're going to go through circumstances. In fact, God has told us over and over that, that the, the journey of this life is not going to be uh, pleasant always. There will be great times of celebration and enjoyment in this life, but the true destination is what God has planned for us. Um, so um, we need to not give in to uh, that uh, uh, natural sense of our flesh, which we just naturally, when things go wrong or you know, we, we, we feel like we are being slighted or we're being wronged, um, we begin to complain. Um, and when we're not complaining, we're standing up uh, for ourselves. And, and there's this sense, and I think in America, we have it even more so. Um, and that's the danger because we have this sense of uh, entitlement. And that is not a biblical uh, uh, principle that, that in this world, we are not entitled to anything. In fact, God is trying to day by day chip away at that pride um, and that arrogance of thinking that somehow we deserve certain rights. And you know what? We are lucky that we have lived in a country that has given us those rights, but it has never been deserved or earned because God tells us that all of us uh, are sinners. All of our righteousness is like dirty rags, and, and yet it has been only a blessing that we've had the little bit that we have. And I know people like to focus on all the negatives that have happened in our nation, and our nation is not... Um, uh, perfect at all because it's made up of us. There's the problem. Um, and yet, it is this attitude within us that is the main problem. That if we would humble ourselves and, and realize that we don't deserve any of that, we can then begin to get rid of the things that 
steal our joy. Because here's the thing. Those things that we're complaining about, those attitudes that creep up within us, we don't realize it, but it's those attitudes, it's the frustrations um, that are not responses to the circumstances, but they are the means that the enemy um, wants to steal the joy that God wants to give us. And so we're going to start to look at um, this book in the Bible, and it is Philippians. And throughout Philippians, we're going to learn from a man who went through things much worse than what we are going through. And yet in the midst of his quarantine, okay, he, he went through quarantine like us, but his was enforced. He was in prison. Um, uh, there was no choice of, of what he got to do. And yet from prison, this, this beautiful song of joy comes from Paul. And we need to begin to emulate that and to receive the same thing. And so we're going to look at how could he live in joy even though he was um, uh, uh, surrounded by all the circumstances that would normally steal our joy. So we're going to pick this up in chapter 1, um, starting in verse 1. And uh, we're going to go for several weeks, and uh, we may not be getting through a lot of verses because I think there's some real in-depth things that we can uh, learn, even verse by verse, from Philippians chapter 1. So let's read it, starting in verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at, who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to stop right there today. Because that is so deep. Many times we read over these opening statements. And um, when we read these, this is not just an opening of a letter. It's not just... Hi guys, how are you doing? Um, it's not the small talk before he gets into this. Because in fact, a normal greeting uh, uh, from the Greeks would have used uh, the word charis, uh, which is the word here that is translated grace. And the normal Hebrew person would have used the normal greeting uh, of shalom, uh, or in this case, the Greek would be irene, which is peace. And so what Paul does not, he does not say charis or shalom, uh, but he puts them together to emphasize that there is, this is not just a greeting, but he is opening with a prayer. Um, it, it is a prayer that he opens with. Now, here's the thing. It's not just Philippians. Every single letter that he writes, he opens and closes with these words, grace and peace be with you. Um, grace and peace. I think the only one that he doesn't close it with is Romans. Uh, but all of the other um, uh, letters, he opens and closes with grace and peace. And I think there is a pattern there that we need to begin to embrace. 
if we would open and close everything that we did with grace and peace, how would it change the in-between? How would it change how we experience the journey of our day? Every day is a journey from waking up to going to sleep. What if we were to start our day and end our day with grace and peace? If it was the foundation out of which everything grew, and if it was the capstone that closed off everything, I believe it would change who we are. And I believe each and every one of us need to begin to acknowledge that we need this and repent of it. Because we have all given in to the opposite of grace and peace. We give in to uh, uh, our own wants and our desires and, and uh, what fits our needs and, and then the anger and then the bitterness that comes with it and then the complaint and then the comparison and then how everything else is right and it snowballs into one bad thing happens and we blow up on someone instead of starting with grace and peace. And as I mentioned, this is the prayer that Paul is saying no matter what else I'm going to say in this book, here's my prayer. I pray that you understand that the meaning behind everything starts with grace and peace. That that is the end purpose that God has for everything else in the journey. It all stands upon it. So let's look at those, those two words real quick. Um, the first word is he, he begins to say, I pray that grace would be upon you. And not just be with you, but that you would begin to enter into grace. That you would begin to understand grace. That grace would then begin to saturate you. That you would become the grace. And the, the word there, charis, uh, or charis, or however they pronounce that, C-H-A-R-I-S, um, it means something given that is not deserved. I think we all know that, that grace is something that we get that we don't deserve. But it is more than that. And I think we've short-sighted uh, uh, it. Um, it is not just a gift that's not deserved. Grace is this idea of a desire for you to experience full joy. So it's not just a gift. Oh, that's nice. It is joy. Um, uh, it, at its very core, uh, it is a sense of favor. Uh, it is a sense of gratification. Uh, in fact, when we receive grace, it's not just like getting a gift, okay, and we can set aside, use it when we want. But it infuses us. It means that when you get this gift, it fills you with such awe of just uh, uh, gratefulness. That grace and gratefulness goes together. In other words, it's something that you had. I mean, think about that thing when you were a kid. You remember those Christmases when there was always one thing? That, Man, I just want this one thing, and I don't care about anything else. And, and, and uh, when you got that one thing, it was just like, yes. There was a feeling of, of almost completion, right? I'm, I am complete. Okay? Uh, that is the feeling that that sense. Uh, think about it this, uh, if you're a sports person, if you've ever rooted for a team and they never, never win, um, and then something happens, and maybe one time, some of you are lucky you, you've had teams that have won in the past. 
See, I can understand this because my teams have never won. Padres, I've made it to the World Series, but we've never won the World Series. Chargers, we've just never even, oh, we got so close in Cincinnati. We almost made it to the Super Bowl. Well, we made it to the Super Bowl one time and got demolished by Steve Young and the 49ers. Yeah, hello, you 49ers fans. So I've never experienced that where, where my team won. But can you imagine when your team finally wins? There is a feeling of absolute joy, and we've seen it. Uh, from people uh, throughout uh, uh, all different experiences. Um, musicians, uh, you experience that when that perfect song comes out. If you're a writer and, or a player and you're able to finally hit it just right, there is a sense of completion. This is what grace is. You, you see, it's much more than what we have made it into. Uh, we've kind of made it a relief. You know, we're saved by grace. Phew, I'm so glad because I, I wouldn't have made it myself. And yet we miss the deepness of it, that grace is meant uh, to be uh, such a deep experience of joy um, that we cannot even express. But more than that, it's not just something we don't deserve. I, I think we recognize that. But grace is something given without expectation. See, many times we don't look at it on the other end. Yes, I don't deserve it, but you know what? Not only do you not deserve it, God doesn't expect anything from you afterwards either. See, many times we think I'm saved by grace, but now, man, now God, now I'm just, you know, okay, here's all the list of things I have to do. I may not have been saved by doing these things, but now I need to. That's not true. Grace, not only do you not earn it, but grace has no expectation. It is given to you freely without ex expectation. Uh, uh, of, of earning of response, and that is even more so um, something that that frees us. Um, it doesn't mean that, that God doesn't want a response. I mean, God loves us, and and how many know that when you love people, you love when they respond, when they're thankful. But He gives it anyway without expectation. That's how much He loves us, and that's how deep grace is. And that's going to be key because if we are to be people of grace, many times we give grace because, okay, I know you don't deserve it, but I'm going to be gracious, right? We're, we almost are pride in our, in our graciousness. But in our graciousness, you know, if I do this for you, but, but you better straighten up now. Hey, look what I did. How can you do that with what I did? No, see, that was not grace then because you are to have no expectations the grace of God towards us is so deep that he has given it to people who do not deserve it. And without, it was not given to us with the expectation that now then you must do this and this and this. And so we need to be people of that grace. Because what happens is, you know what expectations do? It steals the joy that grows up in the grace. And the earning of it limits the joy the grace that is truly grace, and if it is going to be a joy that fills our life, that we are able to live this life in the midst of all the negative stuff that's happening to us, then you have got to eliminate the earning and the expectations and begin to simply live in the gift that God has given us. And the reason we have not enjoyed the joy that God wants is because we have put the, the grace of God in a ball with an, a start and an end. And we need to release that and begin to let go of those things. So grace, man, we can just talk about grace. 
But not only does he say grace, but Paul says, I don't just pray grace upon you. I, I pray that you would understand the grace of God, what God has done for you. But I also pray peace upon you. I pray that you would understand the peace of God. And the peace of God, uh, the word irene, um, this is what it means. And, I, and it does not just mean everything's calm. Okay, that's part of it. And sometimes, man, I can just accept that. You know, just to be calm, just to not have the troubling things around us. But what it really means is a wholeness, that everything comes together, that it all makes sense. Um, that is the peace that God wants to bring you. He wants you to understand that everything fits together, and it's okay because we need it all. We need the chaos. God is doing something through this chaos. Instead of us complaining and griping, we need to say, God, you are doing something great through this fiery trial that we are going through. And without this fiery trial, I would never experience the true peace because we need that to burn out the things that are within me or whatever we're dealing with in this world. See, there's a plan for this world, and so God is bringing our nation through this, not just because we're a bunch of numbskulls and we're causing this. This is what the problem with people that are trying to do social reform. They forget the fact that you can do as much social reform that you want, and you will never solve society's problems. It is only when God himself can bring peace and wholeness. And so what he is doing is part of the plan of God, and it is going to fit together into completion. And when we accept the fact that God is using all of these things to make everything complete, then instead of looking around the world and seeing, man, this is, this is all just wrong and we need to fix it, we can look around the world and say, I accept this as part of what is going to make the completion of what God has planned for the world. Not only is it completion and wholeness, but to find peace is to find every kind of good. You see, many times we miss this in peace, that peace is, is experiencing every kind of good. It is seeing good in every experience. When we begin to see good in every, you know what, that's what brings peace. The reason you're so upset and in turmoil is because you can't see the good in it, that there's a purpose for that. But when we start to see the every kind of good, I mean that God is in it, that God is doing something good, it just, that brings peace. Because I know God is at work. And he is working, this is where we come to that scripture, Romans 8, 28. He's causing all things to work together for my good. So why am I being the grumbler, the complainer that people don't want to be around? You're just a grumpy old person that you find something wrong in everything. You know why? Because you don't have the peace of God. And the peace of God doesn't find what's wrong in everything. It finds what's right in everything. And there is something good in everything. Even if it's in punishment and judgment and trials. We need to be the people that have the peace of God that sees every kind of good, that can find something good. And I know we make fun of those people. We even call them Pollyanna. Oh, you just have this Pollyanna attitude that you just think everything is just uh, uh, okay. And yet, 
Yes, we need to be those people. Now, realistic, it's not that we don't see the bad. We understand the suffering. We see the suffering, but we see the good in it that we can bring comfort, that we can be the answer to that, that we can touch with the love of God and, and bring joy where there is suffering. And instead of uh, uh, always being uh, the ones that rile against uh, the the negative and see the negative, it gives us opportunities to see the positive in a realistic way. And yet, we have the peace of God. It's just about being someone of peace. That's when we become the people that Jesus called us to be peacemakers. He said, you know, the world has enough of people that stir the pot and that always make other people upset. But you know what we need? We need peacemakers. We need people that when other people are worried and anxiety, and having uh, their, their uh, meltdowns, that we don't just be the people that just agree with them and we get into a, a party with it, right? We have those pity parties and, and we just find someone that will agree with us. Or when we just are mad at our boss, we find that one other person that works with us that will say, yeah, you're right. And then we just feed on each other, right? And, and we just make each other feel good because we're just agreeing. You know what? But what that does is all it does is it continues to stir up the, the anxiety and the anger, and it steals the peace. Whereas we need to be peacemakers. We need to find people that, that will speak good into it. Yes, you're right, that is wrong, but you know what? But you know what, there's this, and, and God can work this out of it, and we can be the solution. And, and see, we need people that can see the good, that have the peace of God. And so this is what Paul prays. I pray grace and peace to you. We need to be people. Can we be people that go around speaking grace and peace? You know, uh, instead of, man, isn't everything terrible? You know, grace and peace. Grace and peace. You know what? When we, when we are wronged, when we are hurt, grace and peace. When, we were, when, when things happen to us, grace and peace. We need to constantly be thinking of grace and peace. Because here's the thing. We all need it. How many know I need grace and peace? I, I know what it feels like to be anxious, or to feel like there's expectations that have burdens upon me. I need grace and peace. Grace lifts the burdens and gives the peace. We need to be people of grace and peace. Our responses, I want us to ask ourselves, whenever we respond, we need to stop and ask, was that response grace and peace? It doesn't mean we cannot be realistic and, and take care of it, but can we do it in a a focus of grace and peace. Paul gave grace and peace as he sat in prison as far as he knew on the way to his death. Sitting in prison with no hope of getting out on your way to being killed by a wicked Caesar and by people of your own race who hated you that you were called to bring salvation to, and yet they've turned on you. And yet his response was, man, God's grace is awesome, and I have the peace of God. How much more can, do we, in the middle of our circumstances, we need to begin to experience grace and peace and begin to give grace and peace? Because none of us are in the situation that Paul was in. Now, here's the thing. Many of us think, 
How do I do that? You know, that's one thing. That's great, but, but what do we do? I want to look real quick at a few scriptures, and um, we're going to put this into practice. First of all, uh, in Acts, Acts chapter 20, in verse 22, um, uh, this is uh, a description of what uh, Paul was going through earlier uh, in his life. It says this. Uh, actually, this was uh, right before this. This is before he went to prison on his way uh, going back to Jerusalem. It says, Now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Oh, great. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I don't know what's going to happen, but this is what the Holy Spirit says. Uh, you're going to be thrown in prison, and you're going to be beaten up, and you're going to be treated pretty bad. Here is his response in verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, which is to testify to the gospel of grace of our Lord God. This is what Paul says. Here's what I realized. I'm able to do this because he says, I realized that this is the job that God has given me, to testify of the grace of God. I only have one job. It's not about preaching and getting people saved. It is to testify to the grace of God. In other words, here's why I can have joy, because of what? God has done for me. Here's the one thing that I do. I remember what God has done for me. So you want joy in your life? You need to start remembering what God has done. And that's your only job is to remember all the time what God has done for you. Do you realize that you were lost and heading to hell for eternity? And God stepped down and saved you and redeemed you and said, I love you. You were unlovable. You were you were a a misfit, you have you had messed up so much, and you we all know that in ourselves, and yet God still chose you. We need to remember the grace of God that was given to us, and that's all we are called to do is to testify. Paul says nothing else even matters in my life except testifying to the grace of God. Now, what does it mean to testify? It means to share it, it means to bear witness to it. I just gotta not just remember it, I just want to tell everyone, man. You will not believe what God did for me. I killed his people. I went around and killed Christians. And God still came to me and called me and forgave me. What kind of God is that? He loved me that much. You see, that's all he did. He went around and told people how good God had been. When was the last time that we testified to the grace of God? When things were going wrong all around you, did we just complain or did we testify? Did we let it shine from us that but God is good in all of these things? You know who was the best at that? I love Jeremiah. Jeremiah, people didn't listen to him. And in fact, he's the one that got the great pleasure of seeing Jerusalem destroy the place that he loved. He saw his own people killed. And then his people dragged him off, kidnapped him, and took him to Egypt. And in the midst of this, this is what he said. 
God, forever I will worship you because your mercy are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You know what he did? In the middle of what? Because that's happening. This world is happening to me. Yes, those things happen to me. But you know what I'm going to testify? That God is good. I don't care what the world has done to me. God is good. We need to begin to remember that and testify to people around us. we got to let it shine. It doesn't mean you always have to be preachy, preachy, look what God did. But you know what? Just be a person that even as you're remembering what God has done for you, it puts a smile on there looking at you like, what are they smiling about? And if they happen to ask, then you can say, oh, man, I was just thinking of something God has done for me. And you have now testified to the grace of God. You see, when we begin to live in that testifying of who God is, and remembering the grace and peace of God, then the joy of the Lord will grow. But we need to testify of the grace. We are the reflection of the grace of God in this world. Do you remember? Or is it hard sometimes that you forget what God has done for you? Let's remember so that we can testify. Second thing, not only do we testify of the grace of God, but we are called to meet the need of grace. See, yes, you need to remember what God has done for you and the grace of God that was given to all of us, but you need to also be able to see people that need the grace of God. You see, we need to have eyes that see there's need. People need to know that God offers them grace. Do we see people through the eyes of grace? Or do we see people through the eyes of judgment? Um, let's look at this great example. Luke, and we all know this verse, Luke 23. Luke 23, uh, starting in verse 33. And this is Jesus. Very similar to Paul, he's on the way to the cross. He's already been beaten. He's already been betrayed. He's already been let down by his own people. And now he's being spit on and mocked and scourged. And now he's between two thieves who deserve their punishment. And now they're making fun of him. They're getting killed and they're making fun of him. You know, I was like, come on. You're, getting, you're dying yourself and you have time to make fun of me. And yet this is his response. And we all know this response. And when they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to buy his garments. You see, the grace is amazing there that Jesus in the midst of this could say, Father, forgive them. You see, that's grace. God, they... They need your forgiveness. But here's the thing, because here's what he saw. The reason he was able to give grace was not just because he was a good guy. You know, if that was the case, we could never do it. Because none of us are as good as Jesus to be able to forgive people like that. But it wasn't just because he was a good guy and he was God. and he was. A, here's why, why he was able to do it. Because he said, they don't know what they're doing. He saw that they didn't know it. He saw people who were out of control, that it was not them. You see, he saw the need. He saw the need that caused that. He didn't, 
see just what they were doing, but he saw their need. We need to begin to see the need. Do you see people around you and, and realize that, that they don't know what they're doing? Instead of being all hurt when someone says something to you, do you realize that they don't know what they're doing? That they are acting out of sin. They are acting out of separation from God. And so we need to be people of grace. Our response is in such compassion that we give grace. You see, when we begin to see people through eyes of grace rather than eyes of judgment, there is the ability to then give grace, to speak grace, to act graciously, to be people of peace rather than people of, of chaos. We need to meet the need of grace. We are surrounded by people all day long that, you know what, they're not jerks. They're not just other words that we would call them that we won't use here, right? Let's be honest, we all say it. But we need to open our eyes and see that these are broken people consumed by the cancer of sin. And they don't know what they are doing. And it is killing them, and we have this grace. We need to love them and pray, God, forgive them. And God, do something that would open their eyes to the grace that you have given me. Maybe you need to see the need of grace in your own life. Maybe you need to open up and look in the mirror and say, oh my goodness, I see someone that I don't even know what I was doing. God, forgive me. And be the person who speaks need to your own life. But we need to meet the need of grace. Third thing, um, I love this. We need to be circuit breakers. Some of you, you guys are in construction. You've worked in electricity. Uh, a circuit breaker is so important. It can save a lot of damage, right? Because if there's an overload, instead of it sparking out and causing a fire that then can destroy the whole thing, you have a circuit breaker so that when you have that, that surge that's going out of control, it, it interrupts it, right? It, it interrupts it. It stops it. We need to be people that interrupt with grace. Because here's the thing. You are going to, throughout your day, there are going to be surges that, that try and... Uh, uh, spark and ignite things to destruction and yet we have been given the great ability to be circuit breakers circuit breakers of grace because grace interrupts um, I love this verse in Romans chapter 8 Romans chapter 8 verse 1 maybe many of you have this uh, uh, memorized this was one of the first ones that I memorized. In, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You see, the grace of God, the peace of God has set you free. It has separated you from this law of sin and death. You need to understand that grace and peace did not just give you a good feeling, but it gave you the ability to separate yourself from sin and death, which has one purpose, and that is to kill, steal, and destroy. And so we need to be people that when, when those surges of, of, of anger, of judgment, of criticalness, 
of, of uh, hatred, of jealousy, of pride, of self-centeredness, of greed comes, we are able to flip the switch and circuit break that and say, no, grace and peace. Grace and peace. I need God's favor. And we need wholeness from God. Um, uh, it is when we step in and interrupt with grace and peace, we are able to, to stop flow of self-pity. How many times we know that when, when we begin to have a pity party and, and, and we have feelings of, I'm just inadequate, I'm, I'm, I've blown it, or I'm no good, or no one loves me, or look how they treated me, I must be unlovely, I, I must, you know what, circuit breaker, stop that thinking. Grace and peace, God has loved you. God has given you life. So we're going to stop that thinking right now with grace and peace. Maybe a friend of yours, you know what, instead of, when you console them, instead of feeding the flames, oh, you're right, man, they, you should have got that promotion. How could they do No, grace and peace. You know what, God has something better for you. Now, you don't have to lie and say, because if it was something wrong, it was wrong. But let's shift that, separate, and begin to speak the peace of God that there's a purpose behind this. If God let this happen, there's something better for you. And we're going to let grace and peace come in. Um, when, when the bitterness comes, when someone hurts you, circuit break, grace and peace. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to give in to this stuff that wells up within me. Some of us, if you have a, a, a temper, you need to learn to use the circuit breaker of grace and peace. I can feel myself getting angry, of getting upset. Grace and peace. I remember what God has done. I remember Jesus. How then can I get angry? I'm going to live in grace and peace. You see, use that circuit breaker in our life. Um, those things, when things start just getting out of hand, maybe anxiety starts to come up, and, and, and oh man, you start to, and here's what I deal with. Um, and, and I have to get back to, you know, right now, because when you start to feel those things spin out of control, you don't look at one thing, now all of a sudden something that is due in three weeks starts to get on my mind, I need to do this, I haven't done that, and that means this is going to happen, and so I see this picture just starts getting bigger and bigger. You've got to stop at grace and peace. God has a plan for it. It'll work out. Let it go right now. Grace and peace. We've got to be people that begin to flip that circuit breaker and remember what God has done for us. Grace and peace. There is the peace of God that we can stop and call in the name of Jesus and he will be there. The next thing, Galatians. Not only do we have the circuit breaker, but we have to begin, we have to begin to let it go into who we are. Not only use grace and peace as, as this, this tool in our life, but we need to begin to live it out. We need to live out grace and peace. Let it become who we are. Let things begin to grow out of that. Why do we do what we do? We need to begin to let grace and peace begin to be the motivator of our life. And this means practice it every day. Begin to love it. Here's what I encourage you. You need to begin to love God more than anything. When you begin to love God's grace and peace, then it will begin to motivate everything you do. Galatians chapter 5, and again, uh, uh, we know this uh, uh, verse. Uh, it tells us, uh, starting in verse 18, 
It says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, which is anger, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things, there's no law. What he's saying is, if you will follow the Spirit and begin to practice that, the Holy Spirit wants to bring fruit of your life, of who you are, will be grounded in grace and peace. That grace and peace begins to fill you because I want to have the attitude of patience and long-suffering and forgiveness. And that only happens because I've practiced it over and over. Fruit is not something that happens right away. Fruit is something that starts with a little bud, right? And then it, and usually it's within a flower. And then the flower goes away and the little fruit starts. It's not done yet. And then it grows a little bit bigger, and then it might be at, at, at full, but it's still not ripe yet. Can't eat it yet. It's still got to ripen up, and then it changes colors to the when it's perfectly ripe. So that means that our life as a Christian, it's a long life of developing the fruit of the Spirit, but it means every day I, I, I am watering myself. I am letting the sap of the Holy Spirit flow in my life. I'm in the Word of God. I'm practicing His presence, and when you do that, before you know it, the fruit of grace and peace will be there. And fruit is not for the tree. Fruit is for others. So what it is saying is that as I begin to develop a life of grace, my life becomes not for me. It's for others. Because, you see, if I'm going to have the fruit that God wants me to have, that means that it is not about me. It is only about others. How can I feed you. When we begin to live for others, and that starts by practicing and filling us with the Spirit of God, then we will have the fruit of grace and peace. Rather than all the things that when we live for ourselves, we saw that. When we live for ourselves, it's envy and anger and dissensions, and we have problems with one another. That all comes because we're living for ourselves. So we need to develop a life of grace and truth. Last thing, we close with this. In Acts chapter 14, we begin to empower grace and truth. Do you know that you were called not just to experience grace and truth, but you are to empower others. You are to give it to others. Others should be even better than yourself. You should take joy Joy comes when you see others accomplish more than you did. Now, that's hard in the world, because in the world, no, we want the accomplishment for ourselves. I want the glory. And yet, it is when we empower others to receive the glory that I can sit back and just have joy and, and enjoy that. It says in verse 26 of uh, Acts chapter 14, it says, and from there, and this was on one of their journeys, 
they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So Paul and Barnabas, at the, at the end of a missionary journey, they sailed to Antioch, and this is what they remembered, that this is where we were commended by the grace of God to do what God has done in us. Because you see, this is what happened at Antioch. It was their church. That was the church where Paul was first saved. Um, it was where he, him and Barnabas were kind of co-pastors. And it says, and you can read earlier in Acts, that they prayed over them, that the grace of God compelled them to send them out. And it says they laid hands upon them and they commended them to the grace of God. In other words, they empowered them to do something that they could not. They said, you know what? Grace be with you because you can do something that we can't. And they filled one another with the grace of God. In other words, you should be a source that when people are around you, they should go away from you being more filled with grace than they were before. More empowered to be that in the world. We as a church, we need to empower one another with grace and peace. When we empower each other with grace and peace, that means we are praying over them. We are believing in them. We are encouraging them. We are comforting one another. We are just pouring into each other grace and peace. Not, not complaints and, and our opinions and everything else, but grace and peace. And may you be stronger in grace and peace than I was. You see, it should always be, I want you to be stronger than even I am. Because God has a plan for you. There is God's grace and peace that he wants to grow in you like never before. Are we empowering others with grace and peace? So there's two questions. First of all, are you receiving grace and peace today? You want the joy of the Lord? You need to receive grace and peace. Many of us, we need to, to, to stop thinking on these things that are hurting us. And we need to just start saying, God, I want to receive grace and peace. Because I have to remember what it is that you have done for me and fill me with grace and peace. We need to be filled with grace and peace. Let go of all the anger and the, the complaints and the criticalness and, and all the things that we have to say about anything else. That's why social media and the news, I, they don't even watch because there is no grace and peace there. Turn it off. You're the grace and peace. Receive it. But then the second thing is, are you giving? Are you giving it? I need to receive it, but then I need to give it out. I need to not give the other junk, but begin to just give out grace and peace. Receive it and give it. Receive it and give it. And if we do that, the joy of the Lord is going to change us. And that's what God wants to do, even in the midst of these times, we can be like Paul, filled with joy, rejoicing, even in his circumstances, to the point that he gave grace and peace to others, and he has even empowered us. He didn't even realize it, but he empowered us 2,000 years later, him sitting in that cell because of his joy, he has empowered us to live for God. Man. 
what can we do for others? Let's bow our heads.